Peter Balker here and welcome to today's edition of The Transition Guy. Now joining me today is Vern Harnish, author of Scaling Up. Thanks for coming in today. You bet, Peter. Now we're at the Scale Up conference in Anaheim and I thought, I thought it would be a really good idea to get Vern to talk about the whole Scaling Up process and what really drove Vern to sort of create the book. Well, one of the things I think is an interesting statistic is we've got 11,000 startups every hour in the world, so we're not hurting for new companies. Uh, and we've got the big companies that are already exist out there, but there was very little written about what it takes to scale up. A lot of stuff on startups. I have an MBA that's supposed to teach you how to run a big company. And so when I launched the Entrepreneurs Organization, when I did that executive program in partnership with MIT and Inc. Magazine called The Birthing of Giants, we said we need to create the curriculum. Because the reality is only about, in the United States, 3% of all companies scale up. In much of the rest of the world, it's only 1%. Yet, they're the ones that have generated most of the net new jobs since the Great Recession. And they're the ones responsible for most of the innovation. So this very small sliver of companies are the unsung heroes of our economies. And what do you think stops companies from scaling up? Well, in the opening chapter of the book, I talk about what are called the three barriers. The first is between our ears. It's the knowledge to know how to do it. It's the, the kind of the mindset that you have to have in order to be able to do it. So there's a lot around the leadership. Number two, we really look at scalable infrastructure. It's just a practical challenge of moving continuously into a new office space and getting computer systems in place and putting processes in place that actually allow you to scale. And then number three, it really comes down to a very specific function which is marketing. It's a critical function if you want to scale, not just to attract new customers, but employees, investors, even attract attention from the media. And so those are the three barriers we call leadership development, scalable infrastructure, and marketing effectiveness. And every business out there does have the potential to scale up. It's just that, as you say, what do you think prevents people from taking that step? Because when people start a business, they don't start up a business with the mindset of, I'm going to screw it up. Everybody wants to grow something. Everybody has these dreams and ambitions. What goes wrong? Well, but see, 76% of the companies, at least in the U.S., that start up never get beyond the entrepreneur as the lone sole employee. And I often kid that many of those companies are overstaffed. Uh, and, and a big part of it is because the entrepreneur is so good at so many things. It's kind of the the nature of the beast and as a result it's very hard for them to delegate to let go to bring others in to help and unless you have the ability to inspire and get other people to help you scale your vision you're never going to scale and so a big part of it again comes back to our own mindset our own ability to let go to trust other people which is a very tough thing when you're talking about your baby now how would you sort of, what advice would you give those people that are the solopreneurs, that are getting in their own way, they cannot delegate, but they have the potential to move up, what would be their first step? Yeah, well, first, I ought, they ought to read not my book, Elaine Pofelt's book, where she okay. talked about uh, folks who were able to scale up significant, at least revenue, as the lone entrepreneur, and how they were able to use a lot of outsourced talent and contract help and, and other services in order to be able to do it. So, look, I don't think it is for everybody, Peter. And I think a bigger mistake is that people who shouldn't be scaling try to scale and they mess it up. And so I would get first Elaine Pofelt's book about these million dollar one person businesses. But if you really do want to scale, 
the first thing you've got to do is find that right number two partner. One of the things that Brad Feld recommends as the co-founder of Techstars is you're not even allowed as a startup to come into their incubator program unless you find a co-founder, unless you can prove that you can work with one other human being and know how to kind of divide up the jobs so that you can scale. And so that is your most important next step is getting that next partner or employee and seeing if you guys can get along and do something together. And I think that's one of the biggest things because a lot of the businesses that I come across, there are partnerships, mm. but they're the wrong partnerships. Where you've had a couple of people come together yeah. as friends, yeah. they started off as friends, they've ended up as enemies. Yeah, well it's one of the, so one of the pieces of early research that Noam Wasserman did at Harvard is he found that intact teams, so the key is they can't just be friends. You have to have worked together. And if you've had an opportunity to work together with two, three, four other people tightly within another organization, where you've already been through the storming and norming phases of becoming a team, when you then leave as an intact team to start a company, you're going to go further faster than the lone entrepreneur. And that's a really good point. Now, in your book, Scaling Up, you talk about the four disciplines. Yeah. How did you... How did you actually come to those four disciplines? Well, you know, they say good artists borrow, great artists steal. Mm -hmm. So, look, I'm a huge fan, as everyone else is, of Jim Collins. And Jim, when he wrote Good to Great, said if you want to go from good to three times good, which was his definition, you've got to have disciplined people engaged in disciplined thought through disciplined action. And we translated that to people, strategy, and execution. And then later on in his very last book, he began to come around to the topic of cash, because as he really looked at scale-ups, growth sucks cash, and so he found that those early on companies that decided to be great, great by choice, the name of his last book, uh, had three to ten times the access or cash reserves in order to be able to scale. And so we added cash to people, strategy, and execution. And those became really the four decision areas you've got to get right now. Peter, business is not that well organized. You know, these that's things true. are messy, they overlap, but that's how we can deal with complexity is by compartmentalizing. So by looking at those four areas and then we continue to drill deeper into each of them, it became a nice framework for people to think about their business and where to enter if they've got constraints to scaling. It's quite interesting because I used to work in McDonald's. Yeah. So I mean that's the world's biggest franchise and actually when you look at the framework that McDonald's has mm. and you actually look at the framework that you've sort of put on that you've used, there's so many similarities between the two. It's just that most scale-up businesses don't have that 50 or 60 year experience yeah. that perhaps a company such as McDonald's has. Yeah, you got it. And, I, and that was what we were looking for. So what's common among all these companies, and my first book, Rockefeller Habits, look back to 100 years to what were some of the fundamentals that John D. Rockefeller and the other industrialists had discovered in order for them to scale. And you know what? Most of that hasn't changed for 100 years. No, it hasn't. It probably won't change for the next 100 either. No. Now, tech a lot, we have a lot of technologies that help us automate and do these things easier, but the fundamentals haven't changed. What was interesting is that over the years that I've known you, you talk about the importance of the decisions changing depending on the economic cycle. So remember at the Great Recession, cash was the biggest constraint to growth. If we look at where we are today, people seems to be the greatest constraint to growth, especially with access to great talent. Yeah. The labor market's being tight all over the world. Yeah. Where do you see the next big constraint coming for businesses? 
in the next five years? Um, well, you know, I th first of all, we found it's different depending on the geography. Mm -hmm. We also found it's different depending on the stage of where the organization is. And so one of the things I really talked about is that, you know, from zero to a million, you really have to focus on the revenue piece. A million to 10 million, then you really have to focus on the cash side. From 10 million to 50 million, then you really have to focus on gross margin or the operations. And then over 50, then you better have your act together and predictability around profit. In terms of the broader trends on the planet, um, right now we're flush with cash around the globe. As I just shared on coming off stage, the, just the private equity market's got over a trillion dollars of dry powder. They're leveraging it with debt. And right now, bank debt is almost free all over the globe. So I don't think it's a cash. Right now, the constraint is people. I think we're going to get that thing solved. And so it's, it often, it always comes down to execution, people. You can have people and you can have the cash, but if you can't get it all organized to get something accomplished, which is really what leadership's about, is how do you turn talent into performance, as Sebastian Ross said on stage today. Um, that is always where the rubber meets the road, mo most cases. Now, a lot of people will come to me and they'll say, okay, well, scaling up is fantastic. It's all around sort of content, content, content. Yeah. But most people lack the context of the content. Now, what was quite interesting is today, you were launching a number of tools. One of them was the whole sort of scoreboard, score, scoreboard thing. Yeah. The other one was sort of my cash flow cycle. Tell us a little bit more about those tools because they're going to be fundamental yeah. to the success of any entrepreneur. Yeah, well, there's really two things that we're trying to augment, and that is the data. I mean, you really have got to make better, you'll make better decisions if you have better data. And so, and we, have, we know it's both quantitative and qualitative. So we've partnered with some amazing organizations to bring us more of that data around our financial health, our cash health, the engagement health of the organization, and the overall uh, implementation of our four tools. And with that data, we can then all make better decisions of what we've got to do next. The second, and Jim Collins said in his book, Good to Great, that it's in that third phase of execution disciplined action is where you want to then leverage technology in order to give you the productivity gains to be competitive in the marketplace. And so again, we have partnered with several companies that have got these technologies that help these scale-ups get their arms around all this chaos that comes when you're trying to grow the organization. And it can be quite overwhelming for these entrepreneurs, that's for sure. It is, because we start out with just trying to keep everything, keep track of it on you know, pieces of paper, then Excel spreadsheets. And at some point, you really need a real CRM system for the sales and marketing. You really need a operation systems for that side. And we realize that the CEO needs a system to keep track of these cascading priorities and KPIs that you can no longer, again, keep tracking just on Excel spreadsheets. Now, a lot of people <coughs> see yeah. coaching as a great weakness. Mm. Why do you think that is? Because it's quite interesting that today we was looking at Eric Schmidt, we're looking yeah. at all these people that actually have coaches themselves, and they believe that coaching's for winners, especially with the whole Jim, with the whole sort of Campbell situation where Campbell's coaching the top yeah. CEOs. Yeah, the book Trillion Dollar Coach that came out here in 2019 has changed the landscape. All of a sudden it went from a, hey, you must be bad because you need a coach, to it's the sexy, cool thing. Because all the greats really have had coaches. Going all the way back to John D. Rockefeller, his coach was Ivy Lee, uh, who also coached the Carnegies and, and Charles Schwab and many other folks. 
Um, and so, and our view's always been, no one's ever achieved peak performance without a coach. No one who's an athlete or, or in the performance fields would ever think to do what they would do. My, my daughter's gonna be singing here for the coaches at dinner, and she's got a vocal coach. You just wouldn't expect to ever achieve peak performance in your field without a coach. We think it's crazy that the business world's kind of come along last, but that all changed with the Trillion Dollar Coach book. So if you haven't read it, Trillion Dollar Coach is a fantastic book. Yeah, for sure. And if you were to give one parting comment, what would it be? Um, well, when it, when it comes to scaling up, you know, one parting comment. Um, you know, your, whatever success is, whatever you decide what success is, it comes down to one thing. It's your daily routines, your habits, your rituals. It's what you do more of or less of or different every day that determines your personal and professional success. And that's really the essence of what the book is and many, many other books is identifying what are those things that you can do more of, less of, or different every day, whether it's eating right, meditating, or our habits around the daily huddle, understanding the priorities that drives whatever you think is success. And I'll probably add to that, yes, success is ultra important, but it's habits as well. I mean, you've talked about it a number of times, habits, habits, habits. Yes. And if you're ultra disciplined, you've got the great habits, you're halfway there. Yeah, for sure. If anything we've spoken about today resonates with you, head over to booker.com and get in touch. And Vern, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. You got it, Peter. And we love having you, by the way, as one of our coaching partners around the globe out there helping companies. Because again, these are the unsung heroes of the companies.